This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. In 1668, about a year or two before his death, the Dutch painter Rembrandt painted what many art historians consider his most famous work, which you see on the wall. It's also a picture in your bulletin on page 12. He called it the return of the prodigal son. Art critics have called it monumental. They've called it Rembrandt's most moving work. But actually, it wasn't the first time that Rembrandt had done something, created something about this story. He actually seemed to be really fascinated by this story. So in 1636, uh, more than 30 years earlier, he sketched out an etching of the same scene that you just saw. That was the one from 1636. And then in six years later, 1642, he drew another drawing of the same scene based on the story that we just heard read from Luke chapter 15. I've been thinking about this story for literally 35 years. And there is probably not a week that goes by in those 35 years. I'm being honest. I'm not exaggerating. There's probably not a week that goes by when I don't make some connection with this story that Jesus told. It's one of those kind of, I mean, all the Bible stories are great, but for me, this is kind of one of those mythic stories, like mythic as it's, it's just, it's bigger. It's, it's about life. It's about the Bible. It's not the whole Bible, but it's about the Bible. It's about my life. It's about our life. And in all my studying and thinking, I really believe that Rembrandt, as, as many artists often do, Rembrandt captured the heart of the story better than many Bible scholars and preachers that I know. All three of his works zero in on that one scene with the father embracing the son. It's verse 20 in the reading that you heard. While the prodigal son was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed kissed him. It's the embrace of ragged, sinful, weary human beings like us with the lavishness and graciousness of the living God made known to us in and through Jesus Christ. God wants you to know this story. God wants you to not just know it, but to experience that scene in your life. And then God wants you to share that story. Share the Father who can embrace weary sinners with others. If I was going to make a short film about this parable that Jesus told, I would break it into four scenes. They go like this. The first scene would be the breakup. Second scene would be the fix-it project. The third scene would be the homecoming. And the fourth scene would be the party. It starts with the breakup. So the story actually starts in verse 11, but it actually begins in verse 1 in Luke chapter 15. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners, think of the worst people, were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Based on that criticism, Jesus launched into three stories to give an apologetic, a defense of his ministry of eating with sinners. 
Now, when you hear the word, the phrase Pharisees and scribes, do not think, oh, those are the really bad people. Those are the bad religious leaders. No, think, those are actually really good people. Those were some of the best people. Those were the upstanding people. But those are the people who are like us. That's what we become every time we disconnect from the Father's heart of mercy for other people. We become just like them. So Jesus told three stories. He told a story about a shepherd that has 99 sheep, and he leaves them all, and he goes out into the open country to find the lost sheep. He tells a story about a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one of them. She flips the house upside down looking for that lost coin. And then this is the third story, and it begins in verse 11. And Jesus simply begins. He says, there was a man who had two sons. Now, if you were there when Jesus was telling this story, you would be thinking, ah, this is going to be a nice story. Once upon a time, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. This is going to be nice. It's going to be adventurous. It's going to be a good tale. And then in verse 12, it takes a sudden and really shocking turn. Verse 12, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. That request was beyond rude. It was shocking. It was appalling. Nobody in the culture of Jesus' day, no son would do that to his father. It was just unheard of. It was like saying, basically saying, look, old man, we both know you're going to kick the bucket eventually, maybe sooner than later, so why don't you just give me what's coming to me, and I'll take it, and I'll leave. The prodigal son, he wants the father's gifts, but he doesn't want the giver. He wants the father's resources, but he doesn't want the source of those resources. He's tired of living under his father's authority. He just wants out. How does the father respond? Because this is also shocking. Will he force him? Will he control him? Will he lecture him? Will he beat him? Looks what he does in verse 12. He divided his property between them. He gave the son his inheritance after he was so rudely treated. Here's also at the heart of the biblical story. God, in his graciousness, gives us this beautiful but terrifying gift called free will. We can choose to love him. We can choose to turn away from him. We can choose to obey him. We can choose to disobey him. We can choose to listen. We can choose to ignore him. God gives us that amazing but potentially life-ruining gift. Verses 13 to 14. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, it's a little ironic because whose property is this? Well, this is really his father's. Everything he has comes from God. He's just taken that, and he's run with it. But it's not his property. It's a gift. Everything he has is a gift. And then in verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Who has not at one point begun to be in need? Rembrandt experienced this. Actually, maybe that was one of the reasons why Rembrandt was so enthralled with this story. So in between those two sketchings, the two drawings, in 1637, he did another painting about the prodigal son in 1637 called The Prodigal Son in a Brothel. And he's, it's a self-portrait, he's in the brothel. And he is having the time of his life. 
He's holding up a tall glass of champagne or beer or wine. He's holding it up, and he's kind of looking back to us, the viewer, and smiling with a smirk because he is having a wildly good time. He's got a sword on his side. He's got a nice velvet hat with a white feather. The world is his oyster. That was Rembrandt in 1637. But for the next 20 years, he began to be in need in his own far country. Death of a loved one, an unhappy sexual relationship with his son's nurse, lawsuits against him, a plunge in popularity. And if you're trying to be popular and liked, it's really hard to keep that up. See what's happening to people that they're popular and then in a day their reputation can be ruined. Rembrandt experienced financial problems. Like the prodigal son, he thought the breakup would lead to freedom, but instead it leads to bondage. So in verse 15, it says he hired himself out to a pig farmer. Now you know, as a Jewish boy and a Jewish audience, this was about as low as you could get. So he hires himself out. It's really interesting, that word hired out, literally in the original language, it means to bond, to attach, to glue yourself to something or someone. That, this also is a picture of the biblical story. We were made by God to bond. We were made to bond healthily to people, to attach ourselves. But even more than that, we were made to bond with God. And we will bond with something. Nobody's a free floater. Nobody's just out there by themselves. We will bond to something. We'll attach to something. Something lesser, something limited, something flawed, something that will ultimately disappoint us. Now, we can love good things that God has made as long as we first bond to the source of those good things. So this is the breakup. Who in this room does not know about a breakup? Here's the father and the son. They were meant to be together. They were meant to be working together. They were meant to be laughing together. They were meant to be eating together. They were meant to be enjoying each other's company. And now there's this rift between them. You ever had a breakup? I'm not just talking about like ninth grade. I'm talking about like something that was supposed, a relationship that was supposed to last, it was supposed to be together. Maybe a father and a son, maybe two good friends, maybe two good married couples, maybe a husband and a wife, maybe a mother and a son or a mother and a daughter, and there's a rift and there's a breakup. Some of these are understandable, they just happen, but then some of them just hurt. They just weren't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to go down that way, and it's heartbreaking. Jesus is talking about that kind of breakup. We all know about that. And we also, and that's why, that's I think one reason why this story is just like rings so true. We also all know about the far country. It's not a strange land. Maybe right now you're bonding to fear, you're bonding to money, you're bonding to sex, you're bonding to resentment, you're bonding to achievement. You're scrambling to get those things. We have our own far country. We know what that's like. So that's scene one. Fades out, camera pans. Scene two, the fix-it project. 
Verse 17, it says, when the prodigal come, came to his senses, he said, let me just stop there. He, ca- he came to himself. That is the beginning of repentance. And this is a good thing. This is a good step. This is an essential step. Repentance just means I'm on the wrong, I'm going the wrong way. Or I'm just on the wrong road. I'm not even, doesn't even matter where I'm going because I'm on the wrong road. And saying to God and usually other people, you know what? I'm going the wrong way. I'm on the wrong road. I need help getting back on the right road. That is repentance. And it's a crucial step. But as good as this confession is, there seems to be something missing. And I was thinking about it all week. What is missing? What's off? Let me read it to you. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It is all correct. There's no false thing in that statement. What's it missing? It seems to be missing just by itself, with that alone. It seems to be missing any hope of an embrace of a father who's waiting for him. So the prodigal son says, you know, I'll get what I deserve. I'll, I'll work, but it'll never be the same. It'll never be as good as it once was. There'll always be a rift. I'll, I'll be like a notch above my pig farming job, but, but that's it. And I got to do the best I can to fix this. When I was nine years old, my dad, who was a medical doctor, he got a gift from one of his patients. It was this, this globe, this little, you know, little globe that's on a stand, and it's all sparkly. It's a world globe, and you, you wind it up, and it twirls around, and it played a song, and it was really pretty, and it was sparkly, and I was enamored with it. It was my precious. I wanted it to be. And so I, um, I asked my dad if I could play with it. He said, sure, but don't wind it too far. Yeah, okay. A nine-year-old boy with undiagnosed ADD, what do you think he's going to do, okay? Wind it, 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 wind it. Snap. The whole thing snaps off. And I said under my breath, oh, no, I have broken the world. It's coming crashing down. So I went and hid in the closet, my bedroom I shared with my two brothers, with the two pieces. I snuck down, got some glue, ran back upstairs. Where are you going, Matt? My mom called. Never mind, Mom. <laughs> Trying to fix it, glue it back together, get some tape. I'd never heard of duct tape at this point. That might have worked, but it just would not work back together. And I remember that feeling of feeling like so utterly alone. I've done something wrong. I'm ashamed. And I don't know how to fix it. And I'm alone in this. My dad was actually pretty gracious about the whole thing, but I remember that feeling. It's on me. You ever done that in your relationship with God? Maybe you're doing that now. You think, it's up to me. I got to fix it. I got to bridge this gap gap. I got to heal this relationship. I got to make it work. I got to come back from the far country. It's up to me. And I'll come back and I'll just squeak, maybe squeak in. Maybe just just barely get in at the bottom of God's curve. 
D minus, but I'm in. But not a son or a daughter. Not embraced by God. That's the fix-it project. Scene three, the homecoming. Verse 20 starts with, while he was still a long way off. That's a really important detail. I'll get to it in a minute. But while he was still a long way off, you, you should be asking at this point, what is going to happen next? Say Jesus paused. You know, every great story, every great movie, every great novel, you're, it makes you, it just causes you to ask, what's going to happen next? I just got to keep reading. What's going to happen next? You're drawn in. So what's going to happen next? How is the Father going to respond? Everything hinges on this moment. Is the Father going to respond with anger, with coldness? Is he going to ignore him? Is he going to hire him back but never restore him? He's still in the far country. The Father, in verse 20, there's five verbs. You get this picture of just really fast, urgent action. Somebody after the first service told me, he said, I don't know if this is true or not, but he said, I think in that story is the only time where God seems to be in a hurry. God representing the Father seems to be rushing somewhere. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was a really interesting point. So the five verbs, he saw his son, he felt compassion, he ran towards him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the word for kissed there is actually the word for, the word for kissed tenderly. It's the word, as Bishop Todd told us last week, it's the word when the woman of the street, the woman that was living this really sinful life was weeping and her hair were and her tears were falling on Jesus and she kissed his feet tenderly. It's the same word in the original Greek language. You see what's happening here? Where is the son when the father embraces him? So I've been thinking about this story for 35 years. This is the first time I ever noticed this. Where is the son when the father embraces him? He's still a long way off. He's in the far country still. He's not home yet. That's so important. The father goes into the far country to find and pursue and embrace his son. His son is not looking for that. He's not expecting that. Here's the thing. Repentance is essential. But it's not some kind of work that gets you all the way home. How's he going to repay the debt he's racked up? How's he going to restore all the things that have been lost, all the, the things that are now broken and shattered? How's he going to fix that? He can't. It has to come from his father's side. His father has to do that. I don't know if you heard our first scripture reading, but it's really important. And actually, these passages are paired with each other in our yearly cycle of lectionary readings. So every three years, we have a series of lectionary readings. And this passage in 2 Corinthians is paired perfectly with this passage from Luke chapter 15. So notice what, what it says here. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God. It sounds like the end of Jesus' story. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. 
Something dead is now alive. Somebody lost is now found. Something old has now become a new creation. Something unfixable has been fixed. Something unhealable has been healed. It's impossible. Who did this? Did we do it? Did the prodigal son do it? Did you hear what the Apostle Paul said? All this is from God. God did it. God did this impossible thing. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is the acting agent. God is the one who goes into the far country. God is the one who brings the prodigal son home. And if it's, that's not enough, we read verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So here's the son. He's standing there. He's like dazed. This is not what he was expecting. Not this much grace. Impossible. He's dazed. He's confused. His father snaps his finger. All of a sudden, he's got a new robe on. His father snaps his finger. All of a sudden, he's got his new ring on. Father snaps his finger. All of a sudden, he's got new shoes. It's like, whoa. This is like Dorothy in the land of Oz. It's like, where did all this stuff come from? This is like magical, but it's not because it's from God. And what does he say? Did you notice what he says? Nothing. He's speechless. He's stunned into silence. You ever been so overwhelmed by something that was so good, you just, you just didn't have words for it? I was thinking, I was imagining this scenario in my head. I was imagining, you know, we have a partnership with uh, the Diocese of Jos in Nigeria, in northern Nigeria. Landlocked country, very dry, a lot of dirt, a lot of mud. Um, one of our friends, Archbishop Kwashi and his wife, Gloria, Mama Kwashi, have adopted 60 children. Children from, who have often been traumatized, lost their parents. I was imagining, let's imagine one of those 10-year-old girls. For the first time in her life, she gets a free trip to the ocean. And there she is. So my 10 years on Long Island, let's say she's down south uh, at the Hamptons where the waves are coming in. And they're, they're not like overpowering, but they're just, they're strong and they're gentle. And so she's standing in the water for the first time in her life, standing in ocean, probably standing the first time in water that's actually not muddy and dirty. And there's just a wave and another wave and another wave. And her eyes are wide open and she's just like stunned into silence. See, the prodigal son is experiencing something that God wants us to experience. Wave upon wave upon wave of his grace. It doesn't mean all, life is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean life is always going to be fun. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be some things we're going to have to repent of. But it does mean that there's something where sin increased, grace abounded all the more as the Bible says. Scene four, the party. It just says simply, Jesus' story, and they began to celebrate. So I want to picture what that looks like. So here's outdoor picnic. Hundreds of people. Fathers invited the whole community for this event. There's grills going, barbecue. The fatted calf is chopped up into steaks and burgers and 
And there's other food. They're frying some fish. Got the smells. You got plates filled with fresh fruit and fresh vegetables and steaming, crusty brown bread like Pastor Will Chester makes. Ask him to make some for you. I'm sure he will. (laughs) The glasses clinking, music playing, children running, everyone dancing. You got grandmas and grandpas. They're out there dancing. You got middle-aged guys that have no clue how to dance. They're dancing. Not speaking of myself, speaking of other people I know. You see the joy? You see the joy? Three times Jesus says, I want you to see the joy. So verse 7, he says, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I think Jesus is saying, I want you to know this. I want you to think about this. I want you to experience this. I want you to have this. And I want you to share this. I want you to be an ambassador of my reconciling work to the world. Let me just ask one question, just a parenthesis. Where is Jesus in this story? So the prodigal son is us. The Father is God the Father. Where's Jesus? Where's Christmas? Where's the incarnation? Where's his death on the cross? Where's his resurrection? Is he even in this story? Do we even need him? Do we even need all that stuff? Well, don't forget who's telling this story. And don't forget where he is. Jesus is telling this story. This is really a story about him. He's embodying this story. Where is he? He's eating with sinners. He is in the far country. Not sinning, but bearing sin. He has gone into the far country. He is the father who has gone into the far country. Remember what the apostle Paul said? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So his whole life, Jesus, from from his birth, from his, his birth in shameful circumstances, from his fleeing as a refugee, from his eating with sinners, from his being rejected by religious leaders, from his um, dying on the cross between two criminals, burying our sins in his body on the cross, Jesus entered our far country. Not to sin, but to take upon himself our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Let me just ask you two questions. So, two questions. Since God wants you to experience this, do you want to come home? Maybe you've been living in the far country. You know what that's like. There's a rift. You're bonded to something you're not supposed to be bonded to. You're using God's resources, but you don't want him. You're using God's gifts, but you've never really surrendered to the giver. Do you want to come home? Because that's what Jesus is asking. There's a home. You can come home. You turn. Turn this way. Turn to me. Surrender your life to me. You can come home. 
Second thing is, is there someone you need to share the good news of the gospel with? Someone you know that needs this. Someone you maybe in some small way can help come home. I was talking to my friend Amy who works at a coffee shop in Aurora. It's not a real name, but uh, I was talking to her, and we've been friends for a while now, and I really appreciate her friendship. And we often talk about our lives, and she was telling me at one point about 10 years ago, she, something tragic happened, and she felt like uh, God had just uh, given up on her. And uh, God could not possibly love her. And we've been talking for a long time, so I feel like I built up the credibility to, to say this. So I said, Amy, let me just tell you something. And we often laugh about, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian, all that kind of stuff. And she often jokes about that. And she talks about my chats on Sunday morning and I'm a chat master and how'd your chat go on Sunday? And so, so we kind of joke about these things. But I just felt like I said, Amy, let me just tell you something. And this is going to sound crazy. I am a messenger from God. And she like chuckles. It's like, no, I'm really, I'm a messenger from God. And I am here to tell you that he loves you. And he has not given up on you. I could tell she was taking it in. That doesn't mean that she has confessed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But she's open. Is there somebody you feel like, I just want to pray for that person? want to help in some small way. I know what it's like to be a sinner. I know what it's like to be in the far country. I'm not better than them. I know what it's like to be bonded to the wrong things. I know all about that. There was a preacher 80 years ago, a German preacher who preached right after World War II. His name was Helmut Thielicke. He wrote a beautiful sermon on this passage, one of the favorite things I've ever seen, I've ever read on this passage. And he closes his sermon. I just wanted to close the same way he did because I couldn't improve upon it. He says, look at Jesus in this parable, in this story. Does he not eat with sinners? Does he not seek out the lost? Is he not the very voice of the Father's heart that overtakes us in our far country and that tells us that incredibly good news? You can come home now. Come home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.